Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate Fantasy Theme Week's of classic film from 1998 film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight yes Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident self-assured style Lex Luthor in Superman what is it about Gene Hackman that uh... his performance it's off the charts but still in reality fiendishly gifted 1981 Sam Raimi Opus The Evil Dead oh yes fine choice Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have charade oh directed by Stanley Donnan it's a textbook screenplay it's just effortless and there's not a wrong note in this movie can't say enough great things about it we'll be back next Friday with an all new episode of the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts join us now for the 430 Movie. The 430 Movie Podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is the definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed his dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is the Dark Knight, Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How you, How you doing, doing today? How you oh, doing? Jinx. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am doing good. I'm excited. We are uh, we'd take a pause on our unmade Batman series because there's just so much stuff to talk about. So we took a little uh, week break here and we are regrouping again with our fantastic guests, Mr. Ed Greer and Pat Casey. Hello. Hey, Hello. hey this is Pat. Hello, this <laughs> is Ed. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's probably it's been two weeks since uh, the last episode. I was going to say we already introduced you guys in the first episode, but maybe we'll do one of those, you know, like they used to do uh, watching like Smallville and those shows where like kind of midway through the episode, they would recap everything that happened. 
I guess under the idea that someone was going to be channel flipping and finished and like a half were. hour watching show. a half hour show on the other channel or <laughs> commitment to smallville um but uh yeah for those who don't know or remember pat is my writing partner uh and uh, i was about to say what else are you working on pat but i guess it's all the stuff i'm working on <laughs> yeah yeah you're well aware of what we're working <laughs> yeah. on what are you up to pat it's been so long what, what's it been yesterday I mean, Sonic 2 is coming out um, either soon or just came out, depending on when this uh, podcast drops. Yeah, uh, it's probably already out by this one. But hey, you can see it again. I'm saying that assuming you all rushed out and saw it opening weekend. Oh, I know I did. (laughs) Uh, We also have a movie called Violent Night that's coming out. I think it's the first. Is it the first or second weekend of December? December like. 11th it's the first weekend of December something whatever this yeah. December 2022 a uh, very violent dark comedy holiday action movie with David Harbour and Mr. John Leguizamo oh and we also have uh hey stop stabbing me the, oh yes uh, a movie we made in college that is impossibly getting uh restored and re-released by the great seven film mastered 20 20th anniversary blu-ray uh, so everyone full should... of brand new bonus features. Yeah, head over to Severin Films to check that out. Uh, I was about to say it's available for pre-order, but again, by the time this airs, it's probably already out. Uh, and Ed from the Greatest Pod podcast, uh, what have you been up to? Uh, you know, I've just been, uh, you know, doing a lot of training in Tibet and various other countries, <laughs> uh, getting getting ready to do this Batman podcast. Uh, you know, uh, I have done a lot of Batman content on uh, the new movie and also uh, just general Batman zeitgeist thoughts for like the last week. So, boy, I'm primed. I'm ready. Let's do this. Well, uh, Scarlata has not seen the Batman and that's a movie that got made. So there's no reason to talk about it, but just kind of a quick thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, Ed, what did you think of the Batman? Uh, You know, I'm going to be super impartial. Check it out. If you like Batman as like a super cop and 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 a little bit of a detective and that stuff, and you want it to be as real as real could be, then you'll love this. If you want to see a lot of, uh, you know, jumping around and all this highfalutin jazz, you might not. So, you know what I'm saying? That, in my personal opinion, I, I like it. Uh, very so, impartial. You know, yeah. I am. I, I, for me, I am one of the grimy people who like to just get granular. Like, <laughs> how many one-inch push-ups does he do a day? I'd like to, you know, I'd like to eat what he eats. Is he on keto? You know, I, I, I love the granular Batman stuff for somebody who might not, who just wants to. Can we get to the snappy James Bond with a mask on stuff, you might not be that uh, enamored with this one. Oh, for those who remember, I think we talked about it in the very first episode of the series that uh, Pat and I, before Christopher Nolan actually got signed on to the Batman movies, really felt that Chris Nolan, this is, you know, his memento phase, uh, should make a Batman movie. Because we uh, were like, hey, they should make a Batman movie that's more like just a detective movie. And uh, now so they Pat, finally did. Yeah. So uh, Pat and I both like this. I think we both agree it's long but you know i never got bored with the length it's just crazy how long it is it is funny i felt like on the previous episode ed you were complaining about the concept that batman would just like walk around past cops and stuff 
And this movie really was kind of like, hey, you know what is really weird is for a guy dressed as a bat to like interact with people. So then that was like this whole movie was mostly it was a movie about like how weird it is for a guy in a bat costume to stand there and make everyone else uncomfortable. <laughs> yep, uh, you're, you're right. I, uh, the, the, the very definition of leaning in. So, yeah, yeah I, I think that, encap- that encapsulates the uh, new flick. All right. Perfect. Perfect amount of chit chat, especially since Steve hasn't seen it. But let's get back to the glorious dark night meet without the K of uh, unmade Batman from the eighties. Uh, well, for we left off last time we had just finished the Tom Mankiewicz script and Steve, I know you had a, a little more to say about that before we move on. Uh, yeah, just very little. Uh, Tom Mankiewicz was uh, interviewed for Starlog and he had just a quick thing to say about it. This was in April, 1983 He says, when you really look at the Batman character, he's only one step removed from Charles Bronson and Death Wish. So I thought you guys would get a kick out of that. (laughs) (laughs) And he had a little something to say about the penguin. The penguin lives in an entire world of black and white at a temperature of about 161 degrees below what everyone else considers normal. He will not be a rotund little fellow. I see him as somebody much more urbane and cold. And he thought that casting wise for him, Ankowitz wanted to see Jack Nicholson as the Joker and Peter O'Toole as Penguin. And he wanted huh. he yeah, wanted that's an- kind of the opposite of uh, the Penguin's <laughs> usual uh, body type completely. But more yes. in keeping with the Penguin personality, I like then, although I was very impressed by Colin Farrell's like accent in the new one. I, I'm, I, I just like the, you know, snotty, the Batman animated series, the Paul Williams voiced version of Penguin. And uh, but by the way, um, this wasn't the first time Jack Nicholson was brought up or thought of as the Joker back when The Shining first came out, when Uslan was trying to get, you know, Batman off the ground from, you know, the, the late 70s and on. Uh, Uslan was like, I think he was like on a bus. And this is in his book, The Boy Who Loved Batman. He like was going through a newspaper and he saw an ad for the shining when he saw Jack Nicholson's face, like sticking out of the door as in all the posters, he immediately went home and took white out and whited out Jack Nicholson's face. and was immediately <laughs> like, this is our Joker. So he was always in the back of someone's mind as the Joker from when the shining came out. So it sounds like something someone would do in a movie since I feel like you can, I'm sure it was a black and white photo. Yeah, just imagining his face painted white was probably a better way of getting (laughs) what that would look like than using actual whiteout. And as a a person who draws, I can tell you, whiteout has gotten a lot better. The the whiteout that he put on that thing was cakey and messed up. Yeah, it was like Elmer's glue, basically. Yeah, it probably probably looked like um, Heath Ledger's Joker. (laughs) But but just real quick aside, as I said last time, uh, I met um, Michael Uslan like, I guess, three times now at what two of them. I got to like sit down and really talk to him. And um, one of the basic things about this is as soon as he gets the right, not as soon as, but soon after he gets the rights, he supposedly got um, Jack attached and it was still years. I mean, we're still in the years. He might have him. He ha- might have him like right about now. He might have him more or less attached because he was attached from, I think, late 70s, early 80s until the time that the movie got made so he had them in his pocket and still couldn't get this off the back off the off the road uh until 1989 and do you know uh because pat and i actually were just talking about this yesterday kind of marveling uh because like personally michael uselin is someone that i'm not 
a name I wasn't really even that familiar with until recently. Uh, so it was just kind of fun seeing his name pop up in the credits of mm-hmm. the Batman and just kind of talking about it. It's crazy. Not that he had the foresight to think this was a useful property and get it when no one cared, but more so that he's able to like hold on to it right. for all these years. Do you know how? I mean, I guess that was just his deal and it was unbreakable, but it seems like it never lapsed at any point. Yeah, I, I don't know how he kept re-upping it or whatever. I think it might have been one of those. Hey, buddy, you want to give us money for the rest of this crap? Go ahead. I mean, there was there, the early 80s was a bad time for entertainment lawyers. <laughs> they screwed up George Lucas. They screwed this Batman thing up. He's going to be a producer on it long after he's dead. His family's going to get money from this Batman, any Batman jazz, like any Batman jazz. He's a producer on like forever. It's amazing. Do you listen as a producer on like the animated stuff as well? Dude, he's a producer on almost, I think, I think there are Batman games that they might not have given him a credit other than special thanks. Other than that, he's a producer on all that stuff. Good for him. I just, I I more expect that person to get like screwed eventually once a company as big as Warner Brothers finally decided they cared. You you just think they would have some way to flex and get him out of it. Well, don't forget too, he got it when no one wanted it and he brought his boy on from MGM who, you know, worked on, you know, worked on all those classic movies like, you know, that that we brought up. I don't have it in front of me, but so they knew their shit. And plus he was also like a lawyer, I believe too. Am I getting that wrong? Like he knew his shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well then that helps explain. He knew how to word that initial contract. That's just like, sorry. Mm -hmm. He was the first person to put throughout the universe. (laughs) across all known media. He, He made that up. I mean, I remember the first time we signed our our first contract for a script and it had like, yeah, throughout the universe and perpetuity. And I was like, what? Like, I was nervous. I'm like, should we sign this sci-fi contract? What does this mean? (laughs) Once we finish signing, is like a portal going to open up and people are going to come out from the future? Yeah, I mean, he's he's even executive producer on the Catwoman movie and then, you know, Constantine movie and the Lego movie because Batman's in it. It looks like yeah, it's crazy. He's, Constantine he's, movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, Constantine's not like a Batman spin. That might just be unrelated. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's unrelated also- because he also produced uh, West Craven's Swamp Thing. Back in 1982. So maybe, I mean, he had his spin off of Swamp Thing. Yeah. So maybe that's why. This guy knows how to write his contracts well. (laughs) Yeah. That should be the bookie, bro. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the art of taste. Yeah. Or rather, I mean, I, and what's crazy is, dude, if, if I'll just say this, I believe in Michael Houston so much that if he was in the crypto, I would be in the crypto instantly. <laughs> <laughs> if, if he'd had one of those crypto Super Bowl ads. Oh, dude, I'd be sold. He just comes out <laughs> with, with, with a Batman silhouette. Hey, guys, fortune favors the brave. And he just jumps off a building and lands on a bunch of crypto money. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'd, I'd, I'd buy that for a dollar. Uh, all right, Steve, what else on the Minkowitz? Um, I mean, that's pretty much all he had to say. It was a long article, but I just kind of knocked it down I feel like you maybe that. personally had something you wanted to comment on about the script. Oh, uh, Jesus. Although that was now a week ago. <laughs> that was like two weeks ago. I, I forgot. I feel like you wanted to say something about the penguin chase, but I'm sure it was mostly just that it was cool or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember, unfortunately. Funny, I, did, I... I did like the penguin chase. Actually, that was one of my favorite scenes in the script was the penguin chase. Uh and I can't remember. AKA I should back the Joker listen. chase and the yeah. other draft. It, did, it reminded me of one of the Batman movies because it went on the rooftops, right? 
and well, so went, it, like all over the place it was so it kind of would have been extremely expensive for that era yeah mm-hmm. it, it kind of foretold like the the nolan movies part of that chase that's what it felt like when i was reading it i was like holy shit we wouldn't see this until like how many years later but mm-hmm. i don't remember what i was gonna <laughs> say though so anyway. all right <laughs> i'm sorry pat you were gonna say something I was going to say the bits in the Mankiewicz thing with like the penguin eating like frozen food and stuff and serving frozen food to the Joker. Like, I think they did some bits like that with Mr. Freeze and the Batman and Robin Arnold one where it was like, his we're like eating like, you know, uncooked frozen meals and stuff. I mean, probably (laughs) just a coincidence, really. Uh, And for that, it was just like a dumb joke because I feel like that was the philosophy of that whole movie. It's like, what's the dumbest thing we could do here? I wish I could remember some Arnold one-liners from that scene. Because you know that everybody, please. Yeah, I guess to see you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess the other thing from that draft that that I was thinking about the other day—I don't know if I brought it up on the show. If I did, forgive me. Is that he was learning martial arts in that? And the other thing was because this is something I thought about when I was working on Jodorowsky's Dune was that there was going to be martial arts in that movie. And it's like the only martial arts we really had in U.S. movies was Chuck Norris movies really at the time. I don't think Michael Dugakov movies were out or. No, it'd be, like, were, it'd be like really random small bits like in the Manchurian Candidate. I feel like there's like Frank Sinatra doing the most rudimentary karate chops <laughs> with Henry Silva, Henry Silva playing a East Asian guy. Uh, I love Henry Silva, such a badass. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so anyway, there was just stuff like that. Probably not. I can't remember. So, all right. So, all right. So anything else on the Mankiewicz guys? I think that's it. It's funny. It was only a week ago and it feels I, I already <laughs> forgot it all. No, What's I mean, it's, it's just there's so much in, in the there's so many things that kind of survive through all of these drafts. I think that's one thing that's really getting to me after reading like all of the material, having that extra week to just bone up on on basically everything. Uh, I didn't granularly read the second one still. I sort of skimmed it for differences. So, Pat, you can kind of talk more to that. But like uh, I do see the differences and do see how important they are. So that's an interesting thing to talk about. But, yeah, over the drafts, I mean, Steve, you're right. There's things from like. Megawitz and before drafts that end up in way later movies and stuff. And it, like you guys as screenwriters and me as an inspiring, I just think of like you go in for these meetings, you just start pitching your heart out. And it's like, yep, yoink, yoink, yoink. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> we'll just throw this in here 20 years later. Screw you. Arbitration, smart arbitration. Get out of here, fool. <laughs> you know what it was, bitch. Your money's on the table. <laughs> just sort of do the stuff that they want to do with your ideas in perpetuity throughout the universe. That's one thing that's really interesting about all this, especially as we get to the Inglehart stuff where Inglehart was like, yeah, they did do me like that. They've been <laughs> using my stuff for 40 years. Sons of bitches. Too funny. All right. Oh, well, yeah. Well, hopefully when we get to that, um, maybe you could shine a little back uh, backlight on him. I didn't really I wasn't aware of who he was, but all right, let me get there. So we're in 1983 right now. And just to keep up with the previous episodes, uh, Superman was like the first DC movie to come out. And now Superman three comes out in June, 1983, and it makes $59 million. All time classic. Superman yeah. 3. And it, it came and it was, it was 11th top movie of that year. So, I mean, still, I guess super, um, comic book movies are still doing fairly well. Them just being uh, Superman movies at the time. They definitely already started getting where I always like, cause I liked Superman three a lot when I was a kid 
And as Pat and I have talked about a lot, we found the ending like terrifying, like yeah, nightmare when the woman fuel. gets pulled into the machine and turned into a <laughs> oh, robot. Oh, yeah. But I was going to do an aside about that. Like, you've been talking too much already in this episode. Button it up like Batman. And but you can't talk too much. Dude, you guys are so right about how nightmarish that was. Those That tubing, pulling, him in, pulling her into the singularity. Ugh. It was like, and it remade her into this Frankenstein. God, it, that was awesome and fearsome. <laughs> But it's, it's weird watching it like when I watched it again, like as an adult and like, you know, thinking of it more as a Superman movie and just like how goofy and weird it's the franchise is already getting even down just thinking of the poster that the poster is Superman carrying Richard Pryor. Like, can you imagine <laughs> that being the poster for a Superman movie now? You know, it's Henry Cavill they, carrying like Lil Rel or something. You know, like or, it's just, or Ke- <laughs> it would be Kevin Hart, right? Kevin Hart. Yeah, yeah Kevin, Kevin Hart, Hart, exactly. But like but now, if they did it, Kevin Hart would be like another superhero or something instead of just a wacky guy. What well, like, seems more that like was... that would be a sub, you know, be like, you know, DC Super Pets, where it's like a joke, like comedy spin off or something, not a proper Superman sequel. Anyway. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I actually I love uh, uh, Richard Pryor's like uh, abilities to hack anything. He just steps in front of a keyboard and his fingers start moving fast. and He can just do anything. I love that. Well, it taught yeah. us all about the yeah. the office space scam. Don't they specifically reference Superman oh, three in right. office? Yeah, yeah when he's space. announced his plan, and they're like, "Oh, like in Superman 3. He's like, "Yes, exactly." <laughs> so good. All right. Anyway. <laughs> all right. No more. All right. Enough with Superman three. All right. Um, and so. Around this time, I think Uslan also wanted his cat. His wish list was William Holden as Commissioner Gordon and David Niven. Batman. <laughs> and David Niven as Alfred. All right, let's move on. Wait, I, I'm forgetting if you've already said, had they, had, who were they thinking for Batman? Not uh, an unknown. They're oh, okay. still thinking about like the Christopher Reeve model for Superman the movie. They're always thinking up until this point, an unknown. And then um, I like William Holden as Gordon, although I'm yeah, trying to think of how great, long he lived Gordon. after that. But it, then a Starlog, another star. Sorry, I pulled a lot of this from Starlog. I don't have a lot of abilities to research certain things at the moment because my library is closed. And so but in this, they they, they said uh, Dudley Moore expressed interest in do, being the penguin. <laughs> I can see it. Yeah, I would have liked that as well. And um, at this point, 1983, July, the Batman was supposed to be released in the summer of 1984. And then they said the Batman will join the inhabitants of Dune, Iceman, that Timothy Hutton movie, the Ice Pirates, Conan the Destroyer and Star Trek Three. All those were supposed to come out in 1984 summer, but Dune got pushed to uh, winter. Ice Pirates. Yeah, remember that yeah. one? <laughs> <laughs> For years, right. I thought I made up the movie Iceman. That's the one about the unfrozen caveman, right? Yes. Yeah. I had no idea that even existed, man. Yeah, it's a serious <laughs> drama about the Scooby-Doo, you know, caveman in a block of ice. But they thaw him out and they like build this biosphere that he lives in. And it's all dead serious. <laughs> so years Hutton, later, I was like, that wasn't a real is he movie. The ice man. Timothy Hutton's a scientist. I don't, I don't remember who plays the, the caveman. Yeah, neither. I, I thought someone kind of who wrote that again. Ice man. I'll oh, look I it up. You keep. All right. I'm sorry. Let me keep going. I'm sorry. I'm going to get sidetracked. <laughs> um, all right. And so now um, Tom Mankiewicz hands in his second draft and that's in the. 
the first month of in January 1984, Mankiewicz hands in, hands in his second draft. And, and the main difference here was that he got rid of the penguin, right? And just kind of gave everything to the Joker. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. It, it is essential. It's like almost word for word the same. Yes. And now around this time, they're thinking it's going to be a $20 million budget for the movie. It's going to be a release summer 1985 going up against the Goonies, Back to the Future, Fletch, View to the Kill, View to a Kill, excuse me. And then um, January 1984, it's announced that Ivan Reitman will direct a $20 million version of Batman. And Reitman won't start lensing until June, allowing him to finish Ghostbusters, a spooky comedy with Bill Murray and, you know, all that. And he is also... Uh, at the same time, Ivan Reitman is developing a movie version of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And at this point, huh. DC Comics has approved Tom Mankiewicz's script. A production designer is expected to be signed on and no casting has been announced. And now, uh, now we're into July 1984 and DC is now developing a Green Lantern movie for 20th Century Fox. And the Batman is moving slowly and Ivan Reitman will not direct now. He has left the Dark Knight detective to work on The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. No replacement has officially been announced, although Joe Dante is the prime candidate for the job. And at the same time, uh, Robert Zemeckis, uh, off of Romance in the Stone, is looking to direct The Shadow. Uh, I keep, I'm going to bring up The Shadow because it's interesting throughout this whole process of them trying to make Batman they keep trying to make the shadow. And of I course mean, they're very similar. I guess. Well, yeah. and, I can see uh, how somebody was like, I want to direct the Batman or the shadow. Either one. It's the same thing. Uh, also, oddly enough, Steve. So I looked up the guy who played the caveman in Iceman, since I know the audience is dying to know. Uh, <laughs> but was uh, a Hong Kong guy named John Lone, who was oh. got a Golden Globe nomination for The Last Emperor. But more importantly, Played the villain in The Shadow, the 1994. Oh, Shiwan Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no way. What a trip. And then he Small was in Remo, world. And he's in Remo Williams. Oh, just the, the smallest aside. Uh, there was a period where Shazam was more popular than Superman. Like people about 20, 30 years older than us re can remember a period where like Shazam was the dude and Superman sucked and everybody loves Shazam. And then Almost like this cultural zeitgeist of basically DC and Warner Brothers smashing those fools and and, and, and yeah, folding. DC like <laughs> yeah. them into oblivion. Yeah, basically they threw them into the Phantom Zone, and so, <laughs> and so basically after that happened, Superman comes back on top. I just see a similar opportunity for the for the Shadow if they could have got their shit together. They could have beat Batman to the punch, been that weird hero that went to the Orient and stole all those people's tools to come back and use <laughs> against Americans uh, and, the, and the downtrodden. And they would have that that kind of weird out of time type of art deco set decoration, most likely, because, you know, 40s and the Batman movie that Tim Burton eventually made being sort of a 40s movie, timeless amalgam, you know, out of time type of thing. They would have beat him to the punch on every single level. And they probably would have got one of the great Batman actors, like maybe Alec Baldwin way, way earlier or Pierce Brosnan or something. It could have been sick. That alternate universe is awesome where the shadow beats Batman <laughs> to the punch. Right. Directed by by uh, Zemeckis. But then imagine that it comes out. But I think Zemeckis ends up doing Back to the Future. But yeah, what a trip. Yeah, that would have been interesting. 
And by the way, I'm wrong. John Lone's not in Remo Williams. I got him confused with someone else. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But John Lone's in that ninja movie, The Haunt, The Hunted, which has like the most non-stealth ninjas ever on fucking non-stealth. cinema. <laughs> yeah, like they make the most fucking noise. They're yeah, I was covered like, in of, bells. One of the first things I got a job on was um, I did I did uh, I had to clean up a reshoot of that movie. They shot like they reshot the ending in an airplane hangar in fucking in Burbank, and my job for the entire day was like picking up and cleaning up dead ninja carcasses these <laughs> dummies it was a fucking mess yeah it was insane i love your weird <laughs> 90s jobs Steve. by the way i don't know if you guys can hear this but if you hear a weird sound my cat is like snoring really loud uh, so, so if you hear a weird snoring it's a cat don't worry about sorry it. our podcast is so boring cat <laughs> Snoozing yeah. away. How we hear good. strange, adorable sounds. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and, and I, I, I'm so glad, you know, it's, you don't want to mistake people too much, but um, you're the dragon. I just saw you're the dragon. It's on, I think, the Turner Classic section of HBO Max or something like that. And uh, I really hate that movie. I think it's an early. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think it's an early. Um, oh, is that the Stone Mickey Rourke? One? Yeah, yeah, Mickey oh. Mickey Rourke in Chinatown, and he's just sort of bullying everybody in Chinatown and calling everybody names. And but he's the good guy, and it's just like, oh god, it is <laughs> kind of execrable on like a soul level. But John Lone is great in it. John Lone is killing it through that whole movie. So he's a he's the Heath Ledger of the Year of the Dragon. <laughs> oh, nice, amazing. Uh, to go back, what Ed was saying about the shadow was very interesting. I think the shadow also like ripped off like the whole ad campaign that the Batman ended up doing. And Makes sense. The uh, nine, I mean, the '94 shadow was very ripped off from the '89 Batman, yeah. like the music and just the way everything looked and stuff. But it's also because the Batman was kind of ripped off from the shadow in the first place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's a, it's a classic. Uh, hi, it's the Hydrox paradox. You were first, but everybody thinks you weren't, so you weren't. It doesn't. It does, it was one of the many problems the yeah. John Carter of Mars movie had. Uh, certainly not its only problem, but it. John Carter of Mars was so influential and ripped off by everything that by the time they finally made a big movie of it, it was just like I've seen this movie before. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like Star Wars, mm. Superman, Dune are all mm. basically John Carter ripoffs, mm-hmm. but everybody knew him better. Mm-hmm. All right, back to Batman. All right, so. Yes. <laughs> August 1984, uh, Ivan Reitman does an interview and talks about why he didn't want to do Batman. And he says, I did not want to do two $30 million pictures back to back. He explains it's too much work. Tom Mankiewicz wrote a great script. Uh, Joe Dante is directing now. And so it will be great. But I'm, but I'm so exhausted with Ghostbusters that I couldn't go into pre-production with the Batman right after finishing post-production here. So I begged out. Instead, this, this is the weird thing. Instead, Reitman's next effort would be the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he's saying, we're in an early stage. The problem is trying to fit three books into a film that won't cost us $90 million. But he's pretty much is jumping into another big budget movie anyway. So, but I think that that like there was a different stage because it's like Batman. He would have been going right into production, and it seems like Hitchhiker's was, was in more just in development. So it's like less exhaustion for him. Probably it's easier for me to imagine a good Ivan Reitman Hitchhiker's movie than an Ivan Reitman Batman. But maybe that would have led to a whole new like branch of his career if he'd done Batman. Yeah, R.I.P. Ivan Reitman, by the way, just died yeah. recently. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I was bummed I couldn't find any interviews with him because everyone, when he passed away, everyone kept bringing up, oh, he was going to make Batman with Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy. And Sam Hamm later comes out in an interview and says, you're going to do a Batman with Bill Murray and uh, Eddie Murphy. But but then didn't Bill Murray f- come out and be like, it was basically like, they're like, hey, Batman. And I was like, eh, <laughs> like that was like as far as it got. Yeah, because Bill they- Murray implied. Because, yeah, because according to Reitman, he was going to work off of Tom Mankiewicz's script, it feels like. So they wouldn't have done like that version of, you know, Eddie Murphy's not going to be in that movie for five minutes, even mm-hmm. though it's like the biggest, you know, he's the biggest star right now. He just did like trading. Wait, was Eddie going to be Robin? Robin. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, because was it um, Bill Murray as Batman, Eddie Murphy, Robin? Was that the thing with Ghostbusters also is that um, originally it was supposed to be John Belushi, John Belushi, and then he died. And then, but Eddie Murphy was supposed to be in it too with Dan Aykroyd. But then when John Belushi died, Eddie Murphy stepped off the project and then they brought in Bill Murray and did the whole thing. I don't know. Hopefully, I'm not wrong. All right. Let's I think keep... you're right. I think Eddie was originally supposed to play Ernie Hudson's character. That would have been, yeah. Yeah. What a different movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think by the time it came around, uh, Eddie was like, uh, not only the certain stuff falling apart as movies do, but yeah, he was like, I'm not going to be the third banana to you guys. I'm Eddie Murphy. <laughs> fourth banana. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Fourth banana to you guys. And I, I get the Twinkie monologue and that's it. Screw, <laughs> screw you guys. Although if it had if it been Eddie Murphy, then uh, Winston would have at least made the poster. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. His movies were gigantic at the time, too. All right. So, um, all right. So we're still in 1984 and September 1984. Now, Joe Dante will not be directing the Batman and, but casting is still unsettled, but it's, uh, but according to this, Kevin Bacon of Footloose would love to play the role of Robin. <laughs> and, Again, Robin in this Mankiewicz script is barely in it, right? Yeah. Barely in it. And then uh, I reached out to Joe Dante years ago because I was really fascinated by Joe Dante's Batman. I, I was thinking about doing a project on it. And then when I reached out to Joe Dante, he, he wrote this back to me. I must say, as far as Batman goes, I only worked on it for a week or two post Gremlins before deciding I wasn't the right director for it. Therefore, I have very few memories to share with anyone. You know, as it happens, I only came to the project after Ivan Reitman departed. I bet he'd have more to say about it. And then um, and then uh, Joe Dante would do an interview a few years later after I emailed him. And he said a little bit more on the on the project than I was able to get out of him. And he said that, um, you know, uh, this was right after Gremlins and Tom Mankiewicz, who had written a lot of James Bond movies, had done this take on Batman, which was not uh, Chris Nolan dark. But it was very outlandish and it had giant props in it. The Joker was a major character in it. And I wanted to hire John Lithgow, part because I met him on the Twilight Zone oh. the movie. And for whatever reason, I started to gravitate more towards the Joker than Batman. And I actually woke up one night and said to myself, I can't do this movie. I'm more interested in the Joker than I am Batman. And so John I went and Lithgow told Lithgow is Joker. That's interesting. Yeah, he would have been great. Yeah. Wait, who, who, this quote was from Dante. Dante. Oh, this uh. is Joe Dante now. So I told yeah. him I couldn't do it. Buckaroo they... Banzai era. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Joker. totally. Because mm-hmm. he, he was nuts in that movie. 
Yeah, and he, he would go on to say, I don't regret doing Batman in the, in the sense that I'm not sure what would have ended up being looking like, you know, because again, it was off the Mankiewicz script. He would have had to do it off of. I definitely see Dante loving the giant typewriter and such. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now we're moving on to 1985. And and I don't know, this is a side note. Uh, Mike Uslan was going to produce Monopoly the movie, but it didn't happen. Back in the 80s? Yeah, and that Monopoly movie's been kicking around for Man. so long. I wonder <laughs> if they're ever really going to do it. I don't know. I know we should just do board game fucking episode of all the <laughs> all the board game movies <laughs> I've never made. It's insane. Uh, dude, I'm telling you, a, a serious hungry, hungry hippos. Like you're trapped <laughs> in the Congo and you got to get out through all these hungry ass. Wait, wasn't that just on the. Uh... Something you're watching, Pat? Yeah, on the after party, um, uh, Dave Franco's character is a movie star, and one of his big movies was the Hungry Hungry Hippos movie. But that was like a kid-friendly uh, family movie, it seems like. And like okay, a Disney not, movie. not Ed's dark, gritty. But also in Jim Carrey's <laughs> novel he wrote, uh, which I... Josh, do you remember the title of Jim's novel? Oh. Uh, uh, Jim Carrey's novel he wrote... Which is like sort of it's about Jim Carrey, the movie star. And the big plot in that movie is that he ends up like they're trying to get him to star in a Play-Doh movie and he doesn't want to do it. He wants to star in a Chairman Mao movie and he's going to play Mao. And then that falls apart and he ends up starring in a Hungry, Hungry Hippos movie in that book as well. So there's something this Hungry, Hungry Hippos movie concept is floating around in the zeitgeist. They're going to do it. They're going to the do it eventually. The dark version would be cool. Seeing a hippo rip someone apart. Wait, isn't he, and, pre- and isn't like Rodney date, like a digital. Yeah. You know, like, like the- digitized Rodney Dangerfield's like personality. So like Jim to perform the movie goes into like virtual reality. And there's like a hippo who sounds and acts like Rodney and Rodney was like Jim's mentor in real life. So then Jim hmm. gains this super duper attachment to this fictional CGI hippo Rodney. And then like dies and it causes Jim to like go insane with sadness. It's memoirs and misinformation is the book. It's actually super fun. Kelsey Grammer is like a major character. Yeah, Nicolas Cage is a character. Like it's pretty funny. Uh, also, um, Jeff Daniels reads the audio book is also fun. Oh, I got to oh, check that out. Super sold. Yeah. <laughs> I worked at a production company years ago and we got in a tape where they had like this pre- like they were trying to sell the, the movie and it was like Jim Carrey was playing a fish. This is before Finding Nemo and all that shit. This was back that was in the, like the Mr. Limpet. Yeah, or, that yeah. one. I, I saw that footage and it was pretty wild. But anyway, all right. Batman. <laughs> yes. All right. So now we're in October 1985. And we're at the Julie Hickson outline. And just to give people a heads up, on, I couldn't find much about her. The only she thing was I like really- Tim Burton's like producing partner back when he was still doing animated shorts yes. and she she produced the original frank and weenie short which is a very long short if i recall it's like a 45 yes. minute short so she was friends with tim's this is kind of like tim burton's the first inkling of tim burton's eventual involvement yeah y- yes i th- yeah and so, so this was, was this like even pre peewee steve Pee-wee came. Oh, you know what? I, I missed something here. Pee-wee comes out August 9th, 1985. That's when Pee-wee comes out. Okay. And so 
Yeah. So I think Tim is involved at this point because I couldn't find his first announcement until November 1985. But, you know, as we know on this show, these announcements, I do say they're probably said, you know, the, the guy just wasn't an, stepped onto the project and they're announcing it immediately. Right. So, oh, yeah, is- like with our with our Santa movie, they're like announcing people. But the movie's about to finish shooting, you know, this week. It just. They had denounced it when they were actually cast. Yeah, I wonder, it seems like the Mankiewicz script came pretty close to getting made, really. I wonder what caused them to abandon it rather than just keep yeah, churning directors until they found someone, the right guy. Well, I, I, yeah, I keep hearing in certain interviews like that it was too similar to the Superman structure and it doesn't work for Batman. But I don't, I don't know. I'm not a comic. I'm not the... You know, I mean, I'd say it's probably too expensive, but they could have just shaved yeah. some of that down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, uh, also, this is before the Engelhart stuff. Yes. That's wild. Because Engelhart's not coming up until, was it 86? Yeah. That's so this wild. is still a year. This is still a year away from, from him. So, yeah. So let's say Pee Wee comes out in 1985. And it, it, you said August 95, and the outline for the Julie Hicks and Tim Burton is October 85. So, like, somebody's agents are getting on it pretty quickly, you know, <laughs> yeah. to, to capitalize on the heat, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, because I think that short he did, Vincent, was a really big cult like short. I forgot, like, certain directors were playing it at their house. Like, they, it was like a really famous short. So, he, I mean, that Vincent is great. Uh, people who haven't seen it should I mean it's probably on YouTube somewhere yeah I think all his like a lot of those shorts are just on you know like the DVD and Blu-ray of Nightmare for Christmas as well yeah because of course still to... own those things yeah <laughs> yeah because it's only Julie Hickson on the outline but you know Cine Fantastic even suggests that Burton co-wrote it with her so all right, so we are here now with Julie Hickson's Batman scan- outline, October 1985. Is this one of yours, Ed? Yeah, I, I would just like to um, read a couple things from it just to set this. To, Please and then do. And we can kind of start going through, trying to go through it kind of quicker as far as the, uh, the, the plot of the stuff. But uh, the very first page is, you know, Batman written by Julie Hickson based on ideas and concepts by Tim Burton and Julie Hickson. Thought that that was oh, okay. interesting, an interesting way to, to, to phrase it. Uh, and the outline was prepared, obviously, by uh, uh, Warner Brothers script department or whatever at the end. But uh, OK, the, and the, all the acts have names. So act one's name is loss. Right. And uh, so it's like really highfalutin, you dig. And so basically the first the first stuff that you read is this a black screen. Suddenly the edges erupt into brightly curling flames framing the image of a vivid uh, sinister glow, or rather uh, with a vivid sinister glow. A wild face appears center screen, shock white skin, radioactive green hair, standing on end as if permanently electrified and red, red lips slashed into a chin, so pointed that it's like a demented exaggeration of a clown face. There's no mistaking this person. It can only be the Joker. Laughing insanely, he turns to look directly at us, nailing us into our seats with his maniacal gaze. The Joker, laughing, fade out. And then it fades into Gotham City, like looking like, you know, Tim Burton stuff. It's it's an interesting way to start a Batman movie, I think. It's like, that's what they chose. Just like, this is a world where the Joker is like looking directly into your soul. And he's like, <laughs> he's the first thing you see. He's the thing that cements you into your seats. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I wonder what that era, like, I always kind of wondered what the uh, purely Tim Burton 
the non Jack Nicholson, I'm sure having some say in what he looks like, just knowing how Burton would like design his other characters like Edward Scissorhands. You can imagine the extra Tim Burton looking version of the Joker. Mm-hmm. I could see like crazy more. prosthetics, possibly yeah. just like totally insane hair like mm-hmm. they were just well, describing there. Well, kind of like uh, if anybody's read. Um, ah, damn it. Arkham Asylum, the book. Uh, Dave McKean oh, yeah. draws draws a sort of Sienkiewiczian uh, long Joker with just just he's just so long. He's like Will Chamberlain <laughs> would play this Joker in a movie instead of Babata because he's so freaking long. Everything about him is long. And you know that if Burton had just made the Batman even just like five years later, I feel like the Joker would have been Johnny Depp probably. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. I could see that. Yeah, looking super insane. You know, he would have been covered in all sorts of prosthetics. And um, interestingly enough, in this particular conception of it, uh, the first way we see Gotham is uh, aerial tramways looping through the city like sci-fi dreams. Fantastic uh, Fritz Langian architecture stretches skyward. Blimps fly by, cartoonizing the cityscape. You know what I mean? They, They see it as like this land of the future metropolis like literally yeah. metropolis fritz lang's metropolis metropolis type of thing which is really interesting to me like that that survived forever even into the cartoons and like when i was a yeah, kid like cartoons always yeah. had like dirigibles and stuff and then mm-hmm. even into like batman begins was all about like these like multi-level like mm-hmm. um elevated trains even though the rest of the world of begins was like not futuristic at all except mm-hmm. except for the mass transit in gotham well, you if, know? You, if you if you look at all the batman movies i was explaining this to someone recently with the new texas chainsaw mascot texas and every texas chainsaw mascot texas is different same thing with uh, gotham city and every batman movie it changes from movie to movie it's never the same gotham city if you really look at them all Mm-hmm. No, is, is the new Texas uh, Chase of Massacre set in Austin? It's just a bunch of weird crazy no, granola it, dudes it, being no, cool. It's like in it's like in Bulgaria. It's like not even in, it's it, it's like it's shot overseas. That's what's so weird about it, you know. And I usually like it when foreign directors like there was that Beat Takashi movie uh, where he did the gangster movie with Omar Epps. When you when you bring like a foreign director here and they try to make L.A., it's always weird. Yeah. And that's what it was like make, having these guys make a Texas Chainsaw Massacre overseas where it just felt to me, I, it, it just felt like, what is this? World? I like Ed's <laughs> Austin pitch. Now, now the Chainsaw family is like a hipster barbecue guys, the kind of you have to <laughs> wait in line for five hours and they stop serving at like yeah. noon when they run out of food. Oh, yeah. They're like the Texas <laughs> is... Chainsaw people are a new super popular food truck. But yeah, it's soy like green is people. <laughs> you know. OK, right. uh, so basically um, uh, and then we go uh, to the Gotham City Municipal Courthouse. Thomas Wayne is like on the steps and he's at the front of or, you know, he's he's in the he's inside of it, whatever. And everybody's packed in like the jury and to kill a mockingbird or whatever. And they're like listening to uh, Thomas Wayne and he's going like, I have uh, basically indisputable proof that um, people, hoodlums and mobsters are stealing from, you know, the city fund and they're doing all this bad jazz. And uh, I think he he, um, accuses Rupert Thorne, I think, of doing it. Basically, uh, he's he's very much he, he yeah using the substantial welfare and pension fund to uh, for various illegal activities. So he's like a disruptive figure because he's a he's reformer. Like, 
yeah, he's a reformer. So half the room likes him, half the room doesn't. So we established that Thomas Wayne is someone of political influence and people kind of don't like him. And he's made some pretty big enemies. So he goes home to Wayne Manor and, uh, you know, uh, he sees his kid, races his kid up the steps or whatever. And they have some banter to show that they're good guys, blah, blah. They're getting ready to go out to like an opera, I guess. Uh, we intro uh, Pennyworth. He's, you know, he's nice, whatever. Okay, so <laughs> so basically um, uh, there's some banter with them to establish that they're all buddies and yada, yada, yada. And then Martha Wayne pops up and she has like a fairy costume on and Thomas Wayne gets into a bat costume Ooh. and uh, little uh, and little Bruce Wayne most tellingly gets into a Harlequin costume. That blew me away, dude. I was like, okay, okay, we're starting this stupid mirroring thing pretty Is quickly. Is it Halloween or something? Why are they there? It's a costume party at like an opera house. <laughs> yeah. So unrelated to Halloween, though. It's just this opera is having a. Yeah, it's a, a and a, it might be. And, and so bottom line is they're going, they're going, they're going, uh, they go to the place. And he again, they keep stressing that he's that uh, his dad is dressed in this bat suit. Uh, and so they go to the happy event. They're chilling, they're chilling. There are some bad guys in other masquerade ball attire looking at them the whole time, you know. And so as they decide to cheerfully walk home because they're down to earth, folks, these Waynes. So they go skipping down the road. Like literally it's described as them skipping and, you know, just kind of looking like these vulnerable, sprightly little, you know, uh, ease on down the road figures from the Wiz or the Wizard <laughs> of God. And, and basically the bad guys see them and, um, and uh, they come by in a Mr. Softy truck, like a, like an ice cream truck. Mm-hmm. And they smoke the Waynes in a, in a drive by. Oh. It's not even remotely a fake mugging covering oh, no. the assassination it's just an assassination no wow. it's a straight up yeah they get murked it's it's like a, what what scarface was supposed to do in the third act of star scarface just kill somebody in their family screw it but basically the chalk white skin of somebody about 17 years old is seen in the truck window like shooting uh the the waynes hmm. so bruce is like oh you son of a bitch <laughs> and uh and bruce is like uh and bruce like sees that guy. So obviously it burns into his mind. Uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne uh, are described as smashed to the ground in a tangled bloody heap. As we, as we all know, uh, commissioner Gordon arrives, he's in his early forties. He's tellingly the commissioner already. Uh, and he grabs up uh, Bruce and he like cradles him in his arms and tears stream down his face and the bodies are removed. And Gordon, you know, just like keeps Bruce from like following his dead bodies, his parents, dead bodies into the, you know, ambulance and stuff. So it kind of sets up, uh, you know, uh, Alfred as like his last resort because Alfred shows up and he's just like, I just want you to know that as long as you live, you will never be alone. And he like, you know, hugs Bruce and it's like this moment and blah, blah. So the faithful butler and the orphan boy weep uncontrollably amidst the chaotic aftermath of ultimate violence. And then uh, Thomas Wayne, you know, his funeral, blah, blah, blah. And Bruce Wayne comes in in a VO as a kid or whatever, or rather as a grown up, and it goes into the kid's face, basically. And he goes, I knew at that moment that my childhood had ended. I knew I would never again know peace. Standing over my parents' graves, I made a silent bow, yada, 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 avenge their murders. You know, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's like and- almost all of these scripts hate, like, have this like standing at the gravesite making his vow like like mm-hmm. somehow that's the most important thing in batman mythos <laughs> exactly it's 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 as important to these drafts 
as the bat flying through the window or the or that inspiration. Yeah, it's very much as important in these. I, I kind of like the uh, mixing it up with how the Waynes actually got killed. Because as you're reading that, I I was kind of thinking about that all the movies do the exact same thing to the point where you know you get sick of every time it's like all right we we get it like how many times mm-hmm. are we going to watch the same scene over and over again and i get that that's what it is in the comics but really the important part is that he sees his parents get killed by criminals i don't know that it's important that they were seeing a movie you know but yeah. it is kind of important that it was like random street crime i feel like because it's like mm-hmm. political assassination is a whole different kind of crime and you become a different kind of crime fighter well, and it, i'm glad it, the batman didn't have this a flashback to his parents dying though they were like wisely like everybody remembers that and mm-hmm. so is there um, a history in the comics? Because this is now doing uh, something he keep Burton keeps when he does do Batman is the idea that Joker basically is Joe Chill. Is that ever in the comics or the Joker like directly murdered his parents? No. OK, it's always Joe Chill or uh, Rando. I mean, sometimes it turns out that Joe Chill like that it was like a targeted assassination and sometimes it was just random. Okay, right, but it's never okay, it's, it's never, never the, the Joker. Joker. All right. I'm right. obsessed with this twisted metal ice cream truck fucking gunning down his family, <laughs> dude. That's like really I, I don't know what it is. I love it. I thought people are going to hate me for saying that. Hey, you know, just hearing that doom, your whole life is ruined. Um, so I'll um, never eat ice cream again. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's in such great shape. He just got yeah, exactly. ice cream really early. <laughs> he made a vow at his parents' grave. <laughs> no carbs, no dairy. Not even um, push pops. Nothing. <laughs> So basically, uh, Bruce begins what is in the script uh, or the treatment. Uh, Oh, act two is called preparation transformation. And uh, Bruce begins. his. Do we think this would have appeared on screen? You know what? I don't know, but I like it. You know what I mean? Like, you know what? Uh, The more that I the more screenplays I read and in my own uh, 20 year Batman like preparation towards being a screenwriter, the more I read, the better I like the ones that are great reading experiences. Because I understand all this production jazz. They're going to make you guys nail it down to these locations and put slugs in and put what scene it is and do all that production draft stuff anyway. What, you might as well start out with something readable for Christ. You know what I mean? I mean, especially uh, like in an outline or a treatment. I feel like we've done that a few times where we give different sections little, yeah. like, but like I'm breaking it down. Yeah, preparation. That's what this section of the movie is. It just helps helps it mm-hmm. organize you in your mind and also kind of like, okay, time to shift into the next section. It's not exactly. just a paragraph break. Because even in the reading of it, I feel it shifting into this gear right now. Like the sentences get clipped like, and they start doing it. their jazz. Because okay. it's like uh, Bruce begins his fanatical period of training. Tai Chi, which I love. That, that's the first one that they mentioned. It's just like tai chi the most violent slow in the park art ever uh <laughs> so like tai chi aikido judo kung fu uh advanced hypnosis uh which will come back in the bob kane draft yeah. uh and advanced hypnosis <laughs> advanced hypnosis fencing skydiving swimming meditation archery all of these things intrinsic to the batman which i mean kind of fresh because zen and the art of archery and all that i could see Bat- <laughs> batman really you know I'd love to see Batman out Archer uh, the uh, arrow just to seem like so mad. <laughs> that was my thing, you asshole. So uh, he learns all these skills and mastery, yada, yada, yada. Throughout this sequence, uh, which should be indicative of Bruce's formative years, we see him compulsively combing newspapers daily for information about Gotham crime and specifically Rupert Thorne. 
uh, devouring it with a vengeance, it says. So he he knows Rupert Thorne maybe had something to do with his uh, parents' death. Uh, he obviously knows Rupert Thorne isn't a fucking clown in a in an ice cream truck, but he kind of knows, you know. So uh, blah 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 blah. It's his contention that Bruce that Rupert ordered his parents' death. Yada yada yada. Um, very quick scenes of Alfred sort of observing Bruce's obsessiveness. They had they make they make sure to note that. Uh, and but and he's also just he's just like combing his hair as he falls asleep on a pile of books and stuff. You know that sort of thing. Comforting Alfred's him. combing Bruce's hair as uh, he sleeps. Oh yeah, well he goes. That's uh, creepy, stalker. Just saying that, I'm like sorry. it's weird and creepy. Very, very quick scenes, counterpointed by scenes of Alfred observing Bruce's obsessiveness with a gentle concern, quietly. Th- this is the funniest section. You're right, Pat. Quietly feeding him, nudging him into bed when he's falling asleep at some near impossible task and exhaustion, combing his hair, thrusting a bag lunch into his hands as he rushes out for yet another class, putting him to bed at night, and covering him as the nightmares come. Blah, 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 blah. So uh, Bruce's abilities and interests grow. The caliber of equipment in the basement escalates. So basically, they, they kind of just say, there's a, there's a basement. It's full of stuff. You know, they don't really <laughs> do a bunch of all that crap with that. So um, and so basically, oh, but it is accessible through a secret panel in a fake bookcase in the mansion's library. So maybe at some point they were thinking it was like, a I don't know, uh hideaway you know rich people have panic rooms all that kind of jazz so more or less the basement panic room becomes his crime fighting uh apparatus and so oh and they're uh very important in this draft there is a film basically as they're going to go out uh i think uh martha sets up a camera and it shoots a home video like a super eight home video of them all together as a happy family and Bruce watches that thing obsessively now that they're dead. Like he watches it all the time. Classic action movie nonsense. Oh, dude, it's it's John Wick with 20, 30, 40 years before John Wick, and obviously a billion other examples. But yeah, to show, you know, that uh oh, we, William Martel, we've done that old Yeah, we did that in our classic movie Game Box 1.0. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so blah blah blah. He, he's he's um Oh, and they describe Bruce as now a heartbreakingly handsome young man in his palatial but cheekly Spartan downtown office. Uh, so he's a grown up now. Uh, Gordon asks if uh, he's seen he- the headlines and hints that he's worried about Bruce's reaction. Bruce assures him that he'll leave the Joker to the proper authority. So basically, I guess the Joker got busted after he smoked uh, uh, the, the Wayne's parents and he just went to jail. So I think the Joker has a beef with Rupert Thorne for leaving him out there. Wait, uh, so, did he get arrested for their murder? I, I he's he's sort of a uh, oh, Joker escapes prison, vows revenge against Mayor Rupert Thorne. Commissioner Gordon promises immediate reaction. Okay. That is a headline that that is so, in this one just that like Bruce like knows Thorne killed his parents from the get go. Like it's more just a revenge story, like the Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah, I exactly. feel like the fact that he was his parents were killed by random person and he doesn't like there's no real comeuppance for that person is kind of a key part of his backstory, right? If that person mm-hmm. was uh, arrested and punished, I kind of feel like the whole idea of I need to be the one to punish criminals if the police can't do it anyway. I mean, the flip but, side of that is he's got to protect like just so this doesn't happen to yeah. anyone else. But yeah. Well, I've always, but uh, we well, can get to it later, but I've always thought that that was stupid as hell because this, uh, okay, I want to make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else. It just happened. 
It just happened. It just happened while you were yeah. training. It happened a thousand times while you were driving miserably. your car, <laughs> while you were filling up the Batmobile with five billion dollars of gas. It happened. You know, it's happening all day, <laughs> everywhere. Stop it. You know what I mean? Just stop with that. That your mission is different than that. I always hated that. Anyway, um, the uh, so the Joker, uh, Joker gets out of jail. Oh, basically, Bruce talks to Commissioner Gordon. Then there's a scene that establishes that Bruce is like, "I love you, Commissioner Gordon. You're dope. You hugged me when I was a baby and jazz like that." But Rupert Thorne is like the mayor and he's running stuff and he's bad and you're part of the badness because it all sucks. So just know that. But no, I'm not going to run out in the street and try to stop the Joker or nothing like that. That's that's foolishness, uh, you know, because Commissioner Gordon is kind of worried that Bruce will go out and try to do something, which is an interesting wrinkle. Like he kind of knows that Bruce is a man of action, even though. So there isn't a fop situation in here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so uh, and that'll come back in the Kane draft, too. Um, so that day the Joker begins and I need to read this. So that day the Joker begins a carefully masterminded reign of terror in Gotham City that starts with a whimper but builds to a bang. Number one, he releases all the animals from the Gotham Zoo, creating a panic in the streets. Uh, number two, he attempts various, uh, or rather he preempts various television shows, ridiculing guest stars, interrupting love scenes, inventing the news, forecasting fake weather, generally disrupting and infiltrating the airwaves. I just love what a hand wave that is. Like interrupting hey, just love scenes. Well, I mean, he kind of <laughs> did that in Batman 89. I mean, yeah, but he kind of he jumps onto a couple, he 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 preempts the news and makes his own programming. Yeah. But they're intoning that he's popping up at Love Boat episodes between Isaac and whoever the fuck, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> they're, they're intoning something of that level. And I just think that's interesting. Uh, okay, number three. He has all the windows of Gotham's mini towering skyscrapers painted black so that no one can see out. Uh, kind of a, a precursor. How? I seems, don't know. It seems very time consuming. Dude, wraps everybody's house in flex seal. So everybody, <laughs> everybody is trapped. You know what I mean? So, okay. He makes all the subways go backwards and <laughs> for an entire hour of, of primetime television. All shows are blocked out and replaced with this Jokerian message. All work and no play makes the Joker a dull boy. Which is so interesting that Jack Nicholson, you know, becomes involved. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, <laughs> and was like little, already attached at this point, although maybe yeah. not wasn't currently attached, but also possibly he was. Right. No, yeah. I know I think he's I think I firmly believe that Jack Nicholson is attached as the Joker at this point. So that definitely makes it funny. Um, so uh that evening, Bruce is playing chess with Alfred. The television in the background is broadcasting Joker's inflammatory propaganda. Uh, oh, at 10 o'clock, the love boat suddenly premieres. I knew I thought I got that from somewhere. At 10 o'clock, the love boat suddenly appears, suggesting that for the time being, at least, we've returned to normal programming, except when we get to the guest stars, Tom Bosley, Cloris Leachman, Andy Warhol, and the Joker, who materialized like some Forrest up- gumped himself. And, <laughs> yes, uh... <laughs> yes. Said, and Bruce that- has not become Batman at all yet in this, right? We haven't oh, seen no, no, Batman no, suit. no. So so uh, so uh, the Joker ma- materializes like some coked up crazy Eddie. That's what it says. Like some coked up crazy Eddie <laughs> and gleefully promises a continued campaign of chaos. Wait, a coked up crazy Eddie? I think crazy That's Eddie. A- I think it used oh. to be like a dude who sold stuff. Okay. Like, like I thought you, know, you were like, saying coked up crazy yeah. Yeti. Oh. Like <laughs> Bigfoot. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's a whole other movie. <laughs> Yeah, he's a coked up Wendigo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, later that night, Bruce relentlessly paces in the basement. His terminal and intention is palpable, yada, yada, yada. 
Uh, he starts watching the uh, film of his dad in the bat costume and them going out one last time, but the film breaks and the canister for the reel to reel or whatever rolls over into like a corner and it hits, um, it hits this uh, box or it hits this like drawer set of drawers. And Bruce Wayne walks over to the set of drawers, opens it up, takes out a box, removes the layers of tissue. And inside is a cowled headpiece, gloves, boots, a black bat insignia on a yellow field decorating the chest. And almost in a trance, Bruce begins to undress. This is the first time they've intoned that there was any sort of bat suit. And it is not the same bat suit that his dad wore, I don't think. Because I don't think he would have. I feel like it is, isn't it? Owned multiple bat suits, right? I mean, the the, the bat suit he was like like the flighter mouse, like those those weird the flighter mouses that yeah. that scared Christopher Nolan's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That's kind of what it's intoned in the script that you know. Yeah, he's obviously right. I mean, it, right. it has been a thing in the comics going back yes. to like I don't even like the sixties, like that. At some point, Bruce like learns there was some incident where yeah, there was like a costume party and Thomas, well dressed as a bat, like stop some crime and beat, beat up some bad guys. And Bruce like only finds out later. He's like, Oh weird. My dad was the Batman too. <laughs> um, which this was borrowing from, but yeah, that's ah. interesting. Like where did the bat suit come from? Like, it seems like he was not planning to be a Batman. Well, you know, what's interesting in this one, I'm telling you, you know what it seems like? It seems like somebody read dark Knight returns like a minute ago. And I, I say that because in dark Knight returns, there's a significant moment where as older Bruce Wayne, he's just like thinking about how bad street crime has gotten and different stuff. And then he just wakes up in the Batcave with his mustache shaved off, his old man mustache that he had oh, yeah. shaved off and he's naked and he's standing in the Batcave and he doesn't know how he got there. And he definitely doesn't know how his mustache disappeared. It seems like they're intoning that in some fugue state at some point in his training, he made this suit and he was just waiting for this time to have an omen to jump in it or whatever. I don't even think, I mean, I may have missed it. I've read this several times. I don't think there's a, a bat flies through the, through the window moment in this one. Hmm. What's well, weird. It's weird is the dark Knight returns. Cause I looked it up. It comes out February, 1986. Yes. Yeah, and this is 85. So again, I, maybe they got galleys or something, but like, yeah, you're right. That could totally be it too. Yeah. Cause it's just like, this, might, yeah. Yeah. Might just be a coincidence because they were just yeah. thinking along the same obsessive thing. It is just, mm-hmm. I just want to say the bat flying through the window, which is like a part of all of these, but the bat always flies through an open window. But then Frank Miller had the bat just fly right through the pane of glass and explode mm-hmm. glass everywhere, which is <laughs> so much better. Respect no. to Frank Miller. Great, great twist on the moment. Oh, absolutely. It's it's like the shark jumping up on the boat in Jaws. It's like, ah, that's what takes this above the other yeah. shark movies. <laughs> and this shark can fly before we knew they could actually fly. Anyway, so Batman dressed as full regalia. I need to read this part. Studies himself in a full-length mirror. To his fantastic mirror image, Batman says, great men, great nations have not been boasters and buffoons, but perceivers of the terror of life and have manned themselves to face it. I don't know where this quote is from. It's pretty hardcore, but it would not work. This would oh, be the dumbest I'm, thing. I'm just you ever imagine being life. the actor and reading that and being like, how do I say this? And that <laughs> sounds ridiculous. I mean, like all of these things have him say something. Like to me, the classic bit from the comics, maybe just the way I remember it, is just him saying, criminals are a cowardly and superstitious lot. That's like why he dresses up as a bat. 
But like he never says that in like any of these drafts. He always says something that's sort of like that, but not mm-hmm. those words. Yeah, it's almost and like understandably, I guess, because saying that out loud, it sounds a little ridiculous calling <laughs> people a lot. Yeah, uh, he should just be like, I look dope. But I would use cowardly and superstitious <laughs> if we were writing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would be dope. I mean, you, you, you keep it in the best words in that, Pat. That's that's why you make the big bucks. <laughs> so um, so uh, Gotham City Night, Batman Prowls the City. Oh, and this is the dumbest crap ever. I'm sorry, I got to mention this. His first night out, he's prowling the city. And it says Batman prowls the city using his specially designed suction gloves and knee pads, which enable him to scale walls, buildings, etc. No, the lamest thing I ever heard of <laughs> I mean, in my whole. Life. I can tolerate the gloves, the knee pads. The it's knee hard pads. to imagine how that'll look cool. He's like baby crawling up buildings. There's nobody that can. Hello, that human fly over yeah. here, <laughs> dude. Chad Stahelski couldn't direct that good. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's no way. Um, so blah 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 blah. Oh, he arrives at Gotham Square, part of the city reminiscent of Rockefeller uh, Center. He encounters a curious spectacle. The Joker, surrounded by shocked onlookers, laughing insanely, uh, and via some elongated fuse, he launches the beautifully decorated 100-foot Christmas tree into the sky. So (laughs) Batman kind of catches him red-handed, blowing up the Christmas tree. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. And you know what? All this stuff is just... uh, He's like like, uh, the Grinch. They're doing him like the Grinch. He's like doing this stages of Christmas, blowing up stuff, tearing up stuff. And the Batman arrives, challenges him, and they have their first confrontation. And it says a violently choreographed ballet slash fight, which rages through the square across the ice skating rink, punctuated by all the requisite silliness and pratfalls. What? (laughs) Violent, but also silliness. I mean, it's interesting. Batman's very first fight is with the Joker. Also interesting. This is a Christmas movie, which Batman Returns was a Christmas movie, right? Mm-hmm. And had some ice skating in it, didn't it? It probably yeah, like the penguins' weird like circus mm. goons. And so blah blah blah, they have a fight. They get on a rooftop, some kind of damn way. It really doesn't matter. And um, but at the end of the fight, Joker pushes Batman off the building, basically killing him. But Batman lands on an awning and is like, "Yay!" and survives. <laughs> so lame. Like that's I mean, the Batman latest throughout ever. many of these scripts is constantly getting like pushed off of cliffs by his foes. Like every time yes. he fights the Joker or Ubu or whatever, it's like Batman out is always gonna lose and then get saved at the last second by something. And I'm just like, he's freaking Batman. Like I just <laughs> it's always been hard for me to deal with if Batman is he beats up a 10,000 goons and then comes face to face with like just the Riddler, and then the Riddler can just fight him. You know, it's just like that Batman would tear any of these guys apart one-on-one unless it's like KG beast or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Who's like also a super formidable fighter. Absolutely. So, Same with uh, like the James Bond problem, you know, yeah. where it's like he mm-hmm. kills all million dudes. And then he comes face to face with just like an evil millionaire who we haven't seen fight, but then that millionaire uh, can fight James Bond somehow. You know what I call it? I call it the, um, the, the fugitive problem and the fugitive he beats up the one-armed man who is a hardcore military murderer who killed his wife. And then we have a whole 40-minute third act where he has to go down to a hotel, interrupt a medical conference, confront a doctor. Switch the samples. Yeah, and then fight a doctor. He's like chasing the doctor around a desk like a 50s businessman with a secretary. And then he gets to him. 
and he fights him. He fights this doctor, and that's supposed to be your coup de gras. It sucks. I that movie's so revered <laughs> and it is so awesome, but that sucks. Well, that's what that always sucks. made that. Uh, uh, which which is the Steven Seagal movie with William Forsythe? It's the bad oh, guy. Out to Kill. That no, 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 no. Oh, Alpha Justice. Alpha Justice. justice. Uh, they're, they're titles all blur together because they're all three yeah. words that are like out for justice. Uh, but that always made that movie stand out is that, you know, Steven Seagal, uh, almost boring his fights. He's so tough. Ten guys attack him one by one and he doesn't even really do a lot of moves. He just kind of breaks this guy's arm and hits this guy in the face with a pool ball. Uh, a cue ball. So, that, you know, and Williams Forsyth is like this coked out, like overweight guy. And but you just expect that what we're talking about to happen at the end and they have some big fight. And it's weird how anticlimactic it actually is because it's realistic. And Steven Seagal just beats the shit out of him, throwing him <laughs> around the room. You're kind of like, ah, yeah, he's like, I, I respect the realism here. Yeah, he's like E Honda fighting like some whatever. He's like just tossing really foresight around and foresight's like a little cherub man like running after him. He Wait, was that a street again. fighter reference? Yeah. Because okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, that was the thing about that's the thing about Seagal movies is that he always his boss battles are just anticlimactic because he just beats the hell out of I mean, He fights Gary Busey in one movie, you know? I guess, uh, I, I guess. The- and he fights, Tommy Lee Jones manages to like put up a tough fight. But I also feel like Seagal, the problem is like, you're there, you're the director. You're like, okay, you're fighting this guy. And then this dude, he hits you, Steven. And Steven's like, no, no, <laughs> there's no way that he that could would even never happen. Impossible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The audience will never believe it. Yeah, he might, he fights the dude from Streets of Fight Fire, Michael Perrier, what's his name? Like he, Michael he's Paré. like, yeah, he beats, he does the same action with him in that movie. I like Perry. <laughs> yeah. And then when you watch the Van Damme movies at the same time, Van Damme always gets injured or he gets salt in his eyes or his rib is broken, like an iron heart. Yeah, Claude has to like get up <laughs> off the mat and like remember the thing that his master or the girl or the little kid said to like juice him up like an anime character to win in the end. Exactly. But yeah, all never takes the hit. Van Damme got it for as much shit as he gets. He got it. Oh, yeah. He, he mm-hmm. got what you do as an action hero. It's how you persevere, not how badass you are. I mentioned talking to Seagal as like a stunt choreographer must be. It's like you're talking to like Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, that it'll go over your head. No, I would catch it. You're just like, you're like, this yeah. is fake, Steven. Like, you're going to win at the end. No, <laughs> like that guy could never punch me. Look, Look at how short he is. There's a fire down below and nobody's going to beat me. <laughs> um, OK, so uh, so yada, yada, yada. Uh, he pushes Batman off the roof. Uh, the next morning, Alfred puts a morning paper beside Bruce's plate and gives him a knowing look. And I guess this is the most acknowledgement we're going to have to. You suddenly became a vigilante with suction cups on your knees. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with you, kid? Uh, so that's the most we get. And then uh, Bruce is obsessed with Rupert Thorne who is in the public now saying stuff like, we got to catch this Joker. This fucking Joker is wild. And, and this Joker is wild. And, uh, and that, <laughs> and, and Bruce is like, um, fuck this dude, because he's just this is some showboaty Trumpy and bullshit. He just wants to catch him to silence him because he could testify that like, you know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. uh, Rupert used him to kill my parents. So fuck that. You know, so he's got his icy mission, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, the days pass. Um, Joker's still doing a bunch of pranks. So some of them. And is he like it's still almost, popping? Is he still force gumping himself, gumping himself uh, into I, they things? They don't talk about that stuff, but they do go as the days pass. Rampant mayhem, yada, yada. 
Um, some of the pranks are music whimsical and some of them are dangerous. With the expertise of a master politician, he coerces various union leaders, inducing them to order strikes. So he is, again, uh, kind of uh, the, the low man's guy or whatever. So he's like trying to... Yeah, this sort of like revolutionary bent to Joker. It's also interesting the idea that, yeah, Joker has the goods on Thorne. Like you could almost do it where like the corrupt cops, like Thorne wants the cops to just like shoot Joker on sight and like Batman has to save Joker from the cops. See, and that would be tight as hell. (laughs) 30, you're 40 years too late, you son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't use your powers. You should feel like Spider-Man after this. (laughs) You got to use your powers better. No, but uh, okay. So you're absolutely right though, Pat. And, uh, And each night, Bruce dons his bat costume and scours the city, all the while uh, finding his sea legs as the mass crime fighter. That's the exact sentence. I wanted to read that specifically because that's what they're trying to get over. And it says, single-handedly, he foils a jewel heist, violent mugging, gangland murder, prowling like a cat. He pr- he searches feverishly for the Joker's lair. But really, uh, in a movie, you would boil that. That would be one scene of him doing but, one of those things, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, there's yeah, that's funny. In treatments... Everything's a montage, and then like the, those those line producers be like, uh, nope, 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 yeah. nope, nope. <laughs> like, yeah. come on, man, we're not switching. But uh, so basically, uh, uh, Bruce is preparing for uh to fight the Joker again or whatever. Oh yeah, and he goes to an opera. He goes to a big political opera because he's doing his Bruce Wayne thing, showing up to events and stuff. And um, Joker crashes the opera, of course. And uh, uh, there's, oh, and it says, with Wagnerian theatricality, (laughs) the Joker crashes the opera, uh, perpetrates the kind of mayhem that every kid bored out of his mind at the opera would dream about. (laughs) <laughs> magnified to Dr. Strange Lovian proportions. That's the oh, sense. I wanted to read Strange that one because that's interesting. I feel like this is a class thing. It's interesting. That, like when every kid at the opera, it's like what fucking who whoever went to the opera as a kid, man. I didn't. Dude, every kid gets bored on the yacht. So you have yeah. to have Yahtzee. It's a great game for being on yachts. Okay, so uh Bruce uh oh and I guess um Silver St. Cloud was introduced earlier. I'm sorry I probably missed that. She got eh. introduced. It didn't really matter. Everybody's obsessed with Silver Saint yeah, Cloud. What's going on? Dude, yeah, yeah. Just, just she was in like seven issues of the comics. Dude, you know? for reals. But I gotta say, she is the best design. Lady. I mean, maybe that's why. Is there just like, like... like the silver hair? The kind of she's this different thing. She doesn't have to be a creature of the night. She's the kind of silvery creature of the day. We're straining to credulity here. Yeah, you're right. It's stupid. Um, so so um. He Bruce. Oh, and this is the funniest shit ever. So Bruce locates Silver in the crowd and kind of Bruce Wayne style kind of leads her to safety. And then um, via like a backstage or whatever, Joker departs flashily in his Joker mobile. He has a he has a Joker mobile before Batman has. It's nuts. And then um, he's shooting smoke bombs and stuff like that. Bruce takes Silver home and they bang. And it is described this way. Bruce escorts Silver home. After years of psychic and physical abstinence, he stays the night. Cut to. That's, 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 that's how they do it. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that that was very interesting. 
Uh, and so they don't afterwards talk about how great he is at boning, like in the Mankiewicz. <laughs> oh, no, 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 they don't do that. Um, so yada, yada, yada. Uh, they go to the Joker's uh penthouse, and uh, yeah, Joker's headquarters is in a penthouse in a towering industrial building. Yada, yada, yada. They go to the building, and Joker has a bunch of experiments there Joker fish, tanks full of gas, the, the grimacing gas, they call it, in here. Uh, which, you know, uh, yada, 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 Joker has a big giant throne. Uh, he's elected himself king of this bizarre world. And, uh, oh, there's an ex-physicist, or rather an ex-physicist that fell down on his luck and went to crime, went to prison with the Joker. So he's pulled this physicist into his criminal machinations. So to invent uh, all his shit. Is that the yeah, idea? Yeah, to invent a lot of this shit. Yeah. And uh, he has a, oh, he comes up with this idea to get himself elected the mayor of, of Gotham by intimidating everybody into voting for him. Uh, and then, oh, and then they reveal that the uh, the Batcave, basically Bruce gets up from boning. He can't sleep after the boning because like <laughs> only regular dudes fall asleep after boning. <laughs> like the real action heroes always get up and their naked butt walks over to the window Stare and the, the morning window. light yeah. bounces off their inevitably white butt as they look into the night. They do that sort of thing. Uh, in here and uh, he heads back to Wayne Manor uh, and uh, oh he and we see the Batcave for the first time and it's super dope and the entrance to the Batcave is through a barn that's a few hundred yards from Wayne Estates I guess now they're farmers I don't know Um, so yada 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 oh and it's described as the next morning um, basically the next morning oh oh dig this Bruce uh, Albert, it says Albert in here, but I think it's Alfred. Alfred is (laughs) waiting for, it says Albert. Alfred's waiting for him with food and quiet comfort. I don't know what that means. And he tells Bruce that during the night, the Joker went to the comedy store or the improv. They say it in the script, the comedy store, the improv, and um, delivered an insane monologue of Billy Crystal jokes to his terrified (laughs) captive audience. Really, <laughs> what is yes, it? Yes, it says it right. Not, that's what I'm saying, dude. And it says it released a lethal dose of grimacing gas, killing everybody. So yeah, just doing killed. some borscht belt shtick. Yeah. Yep. 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 Doing and, Sammy Davis Jr. impressions. <laughs> yeah. Babe. <laughs> hey, babe. <laughs> oh God, the Joker got that. That's the only thing that cancels the Joker. He he did it full Billy Crystal style. <laughs> <laughs> that got him canceled. Aww. Okay. Uh, so the so the next morning, uh, Commissioner Gordon calls Bruce and tells him that he wants to directly enlist Batman's aid in their fight against the Joker. So he asks Bruce if he could get a message to Batman. I don't know how any of this was established. If it was established, I mean, yeah. You, Peter, you're friends with Spider Man. Hey, Clark, you know Superman. Pass yeah. this along to him. That's one classic bit. Mm-hmm. It's one of those. And uh, I'm his official photographer. Uh, so uh, in an attempt to maintain some semblance of normalcy in the city, Bruce and Silver decide to attend a yearly benefit for the Gotham City Crippled Children's Fund. That's what it's mm. called. It's not my fault. Um, <laughs> and so they and, and it's in this big ass uh, sports arena or whatever. And the Joker. Uh, oh, and there's a there's a circus and a big ass MSG type of place. So um, at the Medicine Square Garden type of place, the circus is interrupted think we know where this is going and the but and this is what's weird 
the penguin it says uh we introduced three familiar characters the penguin the riddler and catwoman show up i have no idea how, where they came from and the script doesn't either they're just batman there. villains so we just threw them in there they set them up not at all i you know like i said i read this several times they do not set this up at all are they like part of the bad guy team they like show up doing bad stuff they're basically the henchmen for the joker in this incarnation yeah Curious. and so uh, so after the requisite fanfare and preliminary acts the graysons come on and their 10 year old son dick uh, and their act is particularly dangerous. They don't work with that. They don't work with a net. Yada yada yada. Okay, so the ropes break because fucking Catwoman put acid on the ropes. Classic Cat. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty. This, Catwoman directly killing Robin's parents is going to be hard to walk that back. Yeah, uh, <laughs> dude, dude. I just just the look on Dick Grace's face while Batman's canoodling with Catwoman. It's like. What she said, she's sorry. She's just so hot, dude. (laughs) She's your new mom. (laughs) So basically, um, you will respect her. (laughs) You will call her Selena. (laughs) Uh, So yada yada yada. Um, Dick Grayson only survives because his his he's lighter than his parents, so he swings and hits the pole or whatever, and bounces off of it and lands in like a bale of hay or something. That's the only basically dumb luck prevents Dick Grayson from dying with his parents and um, yada, 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 uh, Bruce. Uh, oh, the Joker comes and he starts doing a smoke screen of confetti bombs. Uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, oh, Bruce makes his way to uh, Dick, who's like super just fucked up about everything that happened. And then um, Silver St. Cloud comes next to him and stuff. And they're just like, ah, oh, this sucks. Wait, and, like what point in the movie is this is the end of act two okay yeah so uh bruce pulls uh 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 young grace into his chest and says as long as you know that i, I just want you to know that as long as you live you'll never be alone which oh, is echoing the words that, that were, yeah that were echoing the words that were said to him and act three is called retribution family retribution period family, family. Okay. so vin diesel wrote the last draft yeah. of, of this um <laughs> So uh, and so they just sort of they sort of hand wave that Dick Grayson is just part of the Bat family now. He's just sort of chilling out in the house. He's cool. He flips a lot. Does he know that Bruce is Batman? Um, We basically he doesn't even come into play. (laughs) He doesn't know it quite yet. I don't think. But but he's just sort of a, a buddy. And uh, yada, yada, yada. Oh, and he he gets um, some AIDS, some age old coldness in him being thawed by his love for the boy. They describe Bruce as, you know, kind of healing because of, of, of okay, that's better. You know, I thought you were saying that Batman gets AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> Timely political. Mid 80s. Very topical. Some, some, some AIDS old coldness. Oh. <laughs> uh, so, so to her, to her credit, uh, given the same circumstances, oh yeah, basically Joker goes on Barbara Walters and has an interview with the Joker. And she tries to like maintain her cool, but he's like so crazy. He's doing lunatic ravings, yada, 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 against Thorn. He's, he, um, he puts the people into a um, catch 22. The upcoming mayoral election, you vote against Thorn and all that bullshit, and you vote for me, and you won't die, basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so they have like a debate or some bullshit. Uh, 
it, the Joker, you know, turns into a turns into performance and does all this crazy shit. Thorn is terrified, obviously, after the Joker uh, says a bunch of crazy shit about uh, Thorn and dissism and all this kind of shit. Uh, without a hint of warning, he pulls out a gun and repeatedly shoots Thorn in the chest. Once again, the police, police arrive too late and the Joker escapes via a prearranged back route. So, yeah, this was like at like it was like on TV, the debate yeah. and he it's shoots like him just like in the yeah. Joker, Joaquin Phoenix. Kinda. Yep. <laughs> yep, absolutely. It's at a debate. So, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne goes, is at home and blah, blah. Uh, oh, and basically Dick figures it out about Batman in time. They begin to hatch a plan. Bruce is adroitly fielding Dick's pleas to accompany him on the mission. Finally, after relentless youthful pressure, Bruce categorically refuses, saying that Dick is too young and ill-prepared for the rigors of crime fighting. Dick, we suspect, is unconvinced. <laughs> can I go? 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 It's like, no, you can't. It's like, okay. But can I go? go. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, oh, th- the city is basically made into Pinocchio's Treasure Island, uh, pleasure, or rather Pleasure Island sequence. Mm. By, by the bat by the by the joker stores and buildings are bombed abandoned and boarded up and uh, hastily scrawled closed signs are on every door and window that doesn't really sound like pleasure island though that just uh... <laughs> i thought you meant yeah. everyone got turned into donkeys after well, playing they describe pool it, and smoking cigars <laughs> do and says uh, every magazine and the on the racks features a different joker portrait including the joker as times man of the year where is he getting but, all this money <laughs> dude th- this is a guy where you're wondering where does he get these wonderful toys <laughs> <laughs> doing crazy stuff with no funding. Turns out he was an even richer billionaire. <laughs> right. And so they describe it as, and this this is very date specific. They describe it as uh Mardi Gras meets the Hare Krishna parade. That that's how they describe what his big event. And uh, every lunatic television cult religion, as well as Gotham's uh, mushroom and criminal element, all kind of get together. So it's like the weirdos, the freaks, the criminals, they all kind of go to Batman's side or whatever. and um, Or to Joker's side. Oh, yeah, to Joker's side. Yes. And then um, Bruce notices that there's all these, um, you know, voting booths that are popping up for the Joker. Again, they don't have polling places. I don't know what's going on. But there's all this crazy, these booths that are supporting for the Joker and people are going up and getting masks and putting the masks on. But the masks are to prevent them people from getting killed by freaking Joker gas. You know what I mean? So like yeah. all the all the dissidents and the assholes are getting these masks and being like, hey, buddy, you better, better wear this thing because it's about to get nuts in here, you know, sort of thing. And uh, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Bruce. um uh, the, 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 there's there's just a bunch of crap, dude. Yeah, this sounds like way too much stuff for one movie. It is interesting because this like this was sort of the first Burton draft, and then the eventual Burton movie we got like just kind of dispensed with all origin stuff and kind of did some of this Joker stuff, but like a much more reasonable amount of it. Well, this is a it is this is a perfect example of something I feel like as a writer I always try to bring up on the show when we're shitting all over some of these scripts is you know these are usually versions that didn't get made and i'd probably be horrified if some podcast was talking about pat and i's like overlong crappy rough draft of some no you, you know, know what's scripts. interesting but but that, it's interesting that yeah. he made this movie but it's not even anything like this so clearly when he yeah. got you know mo- scripts change so much even after they're shot they still will change in the editing room so oh yeah and, and last thing i left out uh Basically, Commissioner Gordon pushes um, 
Bruce Wayne to become the opposite uh, political opponent for uh, for the Joker, since the Joker's more or less running unopposed after yeah, he shot Thorn is dead. Thorn. So so Bruce Wayne uh, goes to a TV studio in the midst of all this, delivers his fiery ass speech last minute, and that like. Rudy running onto the football field or Teen Wolf shooting the free throws or whatever <laughs> uh, makes the Gotham populace vote for Bruce Wayne overwhelmingly, which just the Joker's just like, all right, bro, I was playing nice doing all this terrible shit earlier, but now no mas. I mean, this was an episode of the 60s Batman show, too, I think, in which maybe the Penguin runs for mayor and Batman runs against him. And the penguins like winning in the polls and Batman's like, don't worry. And I think at the end, like it turns out Batman wins. And like, how'd you do it, Batman? He's like, I knew that they would tell pollsters they would vote for the penguin. But when they really got in the voting booth, their <laughs> civic duty would make them vote for me instead. And oh, like, so he was just right. I committed voter fraud. <laughs> <laughs> I hacked, I had the Ukrainians hack the machines. For yeah, Wayne and Wayne Enterprises owns all the voting machines. Wing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you ever heard of a hanging Chad? Uh, so, so uh, yada, yada, yada. Joker's like, I don't care. And there's, there's also like a big ass um, like parade because there's always a big ass parade. And so there's a big ass parade and the floats are seen as this. Um, but Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, Yosemite Sam, the Chester Cat, Pinocchio and Chewbacca. <laughs> those, <laughs> those are the, the parade. Uh, well, Disney splash. probably owns all those mm-hmm. now, but they didn't in the mid 80s. <laughs> right. Wait, did you say Bugs Bunny, though? He's a Warner Brothers character. Yeah. For Bugs now. Bunny's like Bugs Bunny and Tiny <laughs> Sam are the ones that they technically would have owned. Chewbacca, yeah. good luck on that. George Lucas's lawyers are, are as good as Michael Uslan's. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Uh, so yada yada yada. Uh, Batman pops out of the shadows to uh, stop the Joker, and he says, "Hey, chalk face." Yeah. <laughs> nice. And so, and Joker says, "Well, well, well. Cute outfit. Didn't I see you in a production of La Caja Faux? That's that's what." Wow. He says. Yeah. It's the yeah. Original French version that got remade as the Birdcage. Yep. And he says, uh, uh, "Feel like picking out somebody your own size?" And Joker goes, "Uh." Are we speaking physically or mentally? And then with lightning reflexes, Joker shoots at Batman, yada, yada, yada. Uh, They scramble up some shit. uh, And, oh, they get on basically these floats that start to fly up into the sky because the moorings are destroyed and they're flying and they're they're swinging on ropes past each other in Tarzan fashion, it says in the script. That is so not dynamic. It would look stupid. I'm moving on. (laughs) Uh, And uh, the Joker is shooting at the Batman and alternately alternately uh, 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 a balloon full of Joker gas, but he misses, you know, due to Batman's machinations and his own ineptitude. Basically he keeps missing the thing and then it floats harmlessly up away much like, you know, in the Batman 89, him clipping the thing. And so it's funny how much of this crap survives. So, um, (laughs) and then thinking fast, he throws a plastic grenade. They say plastic grenade at the, uh, from his utility belt, and it blows up the float, and uh, and then he drops on top of the roof of a, of the museum, and the Joker crashes as well. And they have their tête-à-tête up on on the uh, on the roof, and uh, Joker starts beating up Batman. Uh, 
in the frenzy with the unadulterated strength of a madman, pinning him to the ground and points a gun at his temple. And just when it looks like all is lost, a faint ripple of wind shudders through the museum. Oh, yeah, basically, yeah, Batman drops out of the sky and crashes through the skylight in classic Batman fashion, but it's like not very controlled. So he, he gets kind of fucked up. And then the Joker sees him in a fucked up state and starts be- whipping his ass. Okay. And then uh, just when it looks like all is lost, faint ripple of wind, yada, 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 hiss of a breeze accompanied by the dull sensation of a tiny fluttering as if heralding the entrance of a small bird. That's literally what it says. <laughs> as it says a high piping laugh pierces the darkness. It's Robin and Robin standing there in the red, you know, in the vest of his parents or whatever. And he goes, heard any good jokes lately? And uh, Batman seizes the moment and karate chops the gun (laughs) out of the Joker's hand. Uh, The Joker uh, starts fighting him. Oh, and Robin basically Flintstones sort of down the Brontosaurus skull, I mean, Brontosaurus um, uh, statue. Yeah, but ever do. (laughs) He he sort of uh, Flintstones down that. And Batman says, fancy meeting you here. I didn't think you were the museum type. Now, bear in mind, everybody who's writing these damn treatments is talking about, I don't want this to be campy. Yeah. (laughs) I I want this to be super real. And they keep doing this shit. And so in one beautifully synchronized moment, the fighting duo leaps into action, flashing after the disappearing form of the Joker. Uh, They they do a bunch of shit and they grab him up. And uh, oh, uh, basically, Batman beats the Joker's ass and puts a gun to his head and is going to smoke him. And then uh, com- and he goes, the joke's on you, Bruce. I beat you to it. It was. Uh, oh, yeah. I said, who killed who killed them? He's asking the Joker who killed my parents. And it's like, you saw him do it. You saw a pale <laughs> character earlier. What the fuck? Anyway, so he goes, um, who killed them? And the joke's on you, Bruce. I beat you to it. It was Rupert Thorne. I killed the man that killed your parents. So I guess not. You know, and the hey. Joker knows that he's Rizwan. Yeah, it's nuts. So basically, uh, but you can't kill me. You can't. That would make you like them. So basically, he he tries to do the logic jazz on Batman. And there's an unbearable moment of, moment of tension. And yada, yada, yada. Commissioner Gordon comes up and puts his hand on, on Batman's shoulder and says, you know, you got him. Chill out. And uh, so, yeah. And, and, and the Joker whispers to Batman, oh, by the way, I'll keep your secret. It's more fun that way. I never had anybody, you know, be able to handle how dope I am. So like, this is fucking fun. I love you. You know, the whole Joker thing that he always does. And, um, and uh, he goes, uh, I got to get out of here. <clears throat> and then, so Batman and Robin uh, turn and they leave. And it says, uh, they continue out of the building into the night, free from demons home. That's, that's how they describe it. And uh, Commissioner Gordon's like, Gotham City, thanks, you guys. You're fucking awesome. You little shorts boy. You're awesome, too. And uh, and then, oh, and then the, the very last scene is at, it's like Christmas, like, morning, I guess. And uh, Silver and Bruce and Dick are sitting around the table having fun. And they're all like a big family. And, uh, and Silver notices that there's a present under the tree. And it's got pride bright purple and green striped paper don't open it silver toy jack of the box and then it fades out and then it says fade in the joker laughing and then it says the end so that that is the end of uh hicks's uh so is she gonna does she die off camera after the movie ends for our chinatown implied chinatown ending (laughs) it's it's gotham city rick (laughs) so yeah that is that is it in total 
that is that is the the Hickson draft. I mean, it, that's uh, interesting, yeah, because it is a lot of the stuff that we got in '89, but with a lot of additional stuff. Yeah, because it was there was just too much stuff in that movie. But it does have Batman having a one night stand, which he does with Vicky Vale as well mm-hmm. in '89. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like in most of the Batman movies, we've gotten like Batman's like a real sad loser, like with the ladies. Mm-hmm. Like in the new one, at least Catwoman's like attracted to him, as opposed to like in the Christian Bale ones, where he's in love with Rachel and she doesn't even like him. But he's just like, she loved me. I know it. I'll never have a girlfriend again. Incel Alfred. And Alfred's Batman. like, oh, okay, Bruce, good for you. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's got the, it's got some brick with its sadness, but it's it's so. I mean, and you're right. I'm not again. I want to I want to join the ranks of you guys one day. So I, I it's not it's not a big deal that people make these sort of treatments, but it's just like some of these things are so wrong headed at at just in the beginning. Like like unless there was some uh, ex- executive saying that he needed suction cups on his knees. That's unforgivable. You know what I mean? it is, yeah, it is. It'd be curious. To, uh, you know, I, I wonder if he, Burton even really remembers all these decades later. But it is curious that then when he finally did make the movie, how good that turned out uh, and got, you know, refocused either his own ideas or, you know, Uslin or I mean, but it's someone still was not was, super um, true to the comics. No, but, like, but I it just was mean cool. that. I like this ending where he catches Joker and Joker knows his identity, but is like, I'm going to keep it a secret because it's fun. Like that's, (laughs) that's cool. Mm. And kind of what they ended up doing with the vulture in a Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. We are going to hit pause there and continue the conversation in our next episode in our series of unmade Batman movies right off the bat. Steve and I would like to thank Tway Nguyen, who was critical in providing a lot of the material we are discussing on this series. So thank you, sir. Um, and thanks to Ed and Pat. Uh, Pat, uh, what can we see of your material soon or now? Well, check out Sonic 2, but also check out Hey, Stop Stabbing Me, the classic indie movie that you and I made 20 years ago, Josh. There's a wow a 20-year anniversary digitally remastered version with tons of bonus features from Severin Films. So Google that shit. Watch Sonic. Thank you. Uh, Ed, how about you? Uh, just check me out. Ed Grid Destroys on Twitter and uh, reboot it. Uh, reboot it channel on youtube and uh, of course uh, nerd goat podcast is the twitter home for the greatest pod which you can get on all pod platforms and you can find us on twitter at never made film and instagram at best movies never made also check out the electric now app where you can watch a video of all our podcast episodes for free thank you to everyone here at the electric surge network including bill ritter and our producers mark a altman and dean devlin until next time this is josh miller and steven scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies. Woo! This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.